Andy gave to me a rejoining of some of the major threads in this project made concise and if there is a term corollary to supernature with respect to the ideas of esoteric exoteric I don't know what it is, and um, I've played around with making up my own words a couple times with varying degrees of success. I don't have one yet in this case, and that itself is kind of a worthy study. Going back to the question of Plato's cave, I mean, for Christ's sake, you got to be familiar with Plato's Cave, right? We don't have to go through that. Check it out, if you're not. The interesting question, I think, is whether or not he was really on your side or, or was he on someone else's side. As well, was he talking about reality itself or was he talking about something that may be manifested out of civilization and quickly came under the control of, uh, I guess, whoever could grab it. A sort of um, byproduct of um, this particular type of human organization If that's true, you know, the nature of symbols and the power, the manipulation, um, someone with a stronger case of uh, Asperger's than myself could sure take that and run with it. Mm, so what does that mean? What it means is this. You know the idea of techne. This was first, I want to say it was high school. I mean, when you kind of, it was, I think we had some art classes that were halfway decent at that point. And that teacher did mention this notion of technique going back to the idea of techne. What that teacher did not mention was, and it took me you know, a long, long, long time um, to ever kind of bring this around to something that was um, unbound by the uh, standard secular worldview, right? And that wasn't until I really opened my mind up to ancient religion and in my case right it's orthodoxy if we go to our old frenemy I god I feel terrible using that term but it came right out sometimes I can't even stop it Jesus techne in ancient Greek philosophy art skill craft is a philosophical concept that refers to making or doing. Today, the modern definition and use of practical knowledge, quote, is similar to the ancient Greek definition of technique. Whereas the latter can include various fields such as math, geometry, medicine, shoemaking, music, astronomy, etc. 
One of the definitions led, led by Aristotle, for example, is a state involving true reason concerned with production. Well, this is all fine and whatever. That's where they want to, I think, you know, back to, back to Plato right there, uh, literally one degree away. I think it does turn out to be that this is where they want you to stay. And that's 100% utilitarian to the preservation of power, which is then inculcated down through, you know, whatever the... I guess they pass it through the glass ceiling and then you, the seeker of comfort and power or something by which to, you know, you can turn around and flog the, we're going to mix the shit out of some metaphors, the crabs in the bucket below you. You know what I'm saying? It is, um, it's as if the, the thing, once it's corrupted, it's just going to be corrupted and that uh, that does seem to be the case. It's pretty rare that you you run into somebody. Now, this is again the idea that I feel like you know people want to talk about God until you and until you mention that God has to be everywhere. So if I say that God was in Portland, and then maybe God left, and God was there in the '90s maybe in the 80s. And now it's, is it God forsaken? Or did the influx of all these people from the outside maybe seeking something? I'm not saying, you know, again, go to the supernatural, or excuse me, the supernature definition of God. Go to God as that upon which all contingencies exist. Not you're ridiculous, necessary to get through the day, um, old man in the sky, Sturgill Simpson idea. If I say that, um, something was in the air at that time and it preserved through you remember the old line? Uh, I do not like really Kurt Cobain. I said I ran into him in a dream one time. I also ran into Courtney, Courtney Love, of all people. Pardon me. We won't go into those now. I know that the dreams are kind of boring. Wow, his line was Living off the grass and the drippings from the ceiling. There was a way at that time to live off of the kind of fat of the land and uh, make a go at it. A lot of people did. And that wasn't just in Portland or Eugene or Ashland. It wasn't just in Seattle. You know, this was probably all the way over all throughout the West. The lonesome crowded west and this idea was that there was a purity something transcendental to apply yourself toward a road to take that would lead you toward some sort of meeting with the transcendental and I think that for a, even at the beginning the corrupted religious component was that well you'll you know you'll still end up a sinner and a fuck up but frankly that is the Christian teaching so how is it not how was as they say the father not already present well, and what happened? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really even think that from a political point of view, you know, strictly 
speaking, Oregon is any more corrupt than, I mean, there may be, I don't, I don't really study politics at that level. I don't want to say, you know, speak out of turn here, but give me a break. I mean, everything in the Northeast, tons of stuff in the South, tons of little pockets, you know, due to agricultural corruption and influence and all of those sorts of threads. There's all types. I mean, yeah. So that, uh, we'll call that, you know, piece one or salvo. Where much of, much was smeared away, much was lost. It was actually in this pursuit of techne. So here's, you know, I think a rather unique warhorse type offering for you. Where people went wrong, where, um, God, I hate to shoot one of my own heroes in the foot, but I think that he would be okay with it. I'm going to take Kelly Joe Phelps. You know, you, by any stretch, this is one of the most skilled musicians, guitar players, um, maybe in all, of all time. And somebody who pursued the truth with a capital T on that road, okay? I don't think that he, I don't know. So I can't, that's probably the end of what I can do with Kelly Joe in this example. But in terms of techne, I think that he understood intuitively that this road was bound up with much bigger things than just simply music production, being a touring musician, being making being able to make your your living as a quote artist. Um, yeah, those things are all like these. That shit gets really jumbled up. Um, and I don't know that he really. We'll say this. Maybe he would have benefited from this. My suggestion that the one, the Techne road to, you know, for a while, like, hell, you had to be Slash. I was listening to Slash the other day and was like, God damn, this guy's melodic playing is still just, you know, rips it, rips a new asshole in this thing. Um, put that up against like whoever you want, you know? I mean, now it's not, they don't even allow you to, to have melodic playing and solos and shit for the most part. It's just completely canned dog shit. The master game. I think that this original here with Wiki, you know, kind of tells the story. Today, the modern definition of these is similar to the ancient. Whereas before various fields, math, music, astronomy, one of the definitions led by Aristotle was, example, a state involving true reason concerned with production. Production, 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 production. Well, so my contention is that at a certain point you can't have true reason and you don't need production on the master road. All right? And so all the sad thing about becoming great whatever is that eventually it goes up on the burn pile an offering of sorts and you know I think we can criticize JPB real quick that's a gift of war that's the gift that keeps on giving I maybe this guy's intentions were um, maybe mixed I don't know whatever but Ultimately, his take on things doesn't 
really bear out, okay? It doesn't serve because what if it's the quality of the sacrifice? What if there's more, what if that's just one of, of many, many factors? What if the sacrifice necessarily needs to involve, you know, the dreaming together of some certain number of people? What if it's not, what if it's just a little bit more severe than no, you can continue to have your um, production-oriented central banker exponential model within evidently a finite game. And that's just fine. You know, I can use these. I'm... I'm clever i'm what you will mostly you guys are getting so dumb and i'm clever enough with words and i have enough degrees or whatever from ottawa fucking community college or something that i can pull the wool over your eyes feel good about myself while doing it because you're really a turd anyway i've told you that all humans are fucking useless you know and i understand the point but that that is a direct quote from the peanut butterson by the way It's evident now that it's it's easy to refer to him because of his arrival as some kind of a critical time there, 2016 and whatnot. A lot of uh, branches of the stream came together and a lot of new branches split off at that point. Anyway, okay, so we've got plenty of ground laid here. The contention is basically that You know, in a video game or whatever kind of game, I don't play video games, but oftentimes you have to, in gamification, let's say, and this is something to watch out with your, you know, your study of narratives, because I was looking at this gamification model the other day, I was going to do something on it for you guys, but it's too dumb and, and, you know, I don't really care to do it. But the rewards and the sort of upping... Pardon me while I put on my fleece here. The upping of the ante. You know, this gets people to buy in. And this is some really stupid, manipulative shit that's going to be essential to the, the recreation of the Borg slave fucking state that are you participating in it? Or what are you doing about it? I don't know. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to place this up on the table and I doubt that you and I are compared. I don't think that that really matters, but this gamification, it's, it's again, straight out of ranching and other, you know, some extractive sciences. That's really where it goes to. Does that mean ultimately that we should probably become step-herding fucking nomads again? Yeah, it does, but that's for another day. Um, there's a point in that game where you're going to take the game. We all have to, blah, 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 where you're going to have to let go of your technical mastery and embrace awe, wonder, faith. You know, this happens actually, and here's another way that you can prove this if you really want to look at it. There are certain creators, writers, musicians, maybe even, who knows, uh, fishermen or whatever that, well, shit, there is a fisherman. If you look at um, Don McLean. Great little book. Rather instructive. You probably saw the movie. A river runs through it. So you know when the Brad Pitt character begins to, quote, take on his own rhythm and he's broken from the father's mold. He has become an artist. He's literally in the river. He's in the state of flow when he does this. 
And I mean, the reason why that book and the story, there's un, there's reasons maybe that can't even be spoken of why that book is so good. But central to that has to be the father and the older brother, their observation of this moment where this brother transcends. He doesn't transcend for money. You fucking fools. He transcends for the love of his father. If you were raising sons, you might want to pipe that movie into your brain. Or just go ahead and stack cash, make your kid a castle, and then don't tell anybody you know, about your ideas and your plans because you don't have any. Which isn't really a bad way to go. You know, if that's where you wind out, leave it to the rest of us to deal with the rest of this really messy shit. The cleaning up of the barf and the fucking diarrhea and the puke of it all. And just stack the fucking cash. And hope that there are a few motherfuckers like me out here who, yeah, fuck it. I guess we'll just, we'll just keep going this way. Because... Yeah, I've, I've had enough acquaintance. Right? Maybe it's just myself, you know. The certain uh, peculiarities, proclivities of some of us do not allow for going another way. Melville, I cannot do it the other way. I cannot, okay? Would the world have been better if David Milch had been able to do it the other way? How are you even going to begin to do the math on that one? I don't know. So key practical point for you, the gift I'm giving you, is that this is obvious if you stop and you think about it, but it's not, no one plans for it. No one builds around it. No one puts their sights on it. There is a point where we could just, you can go ahead, DM, DM me, you know, and I'll find this point in your particular artist's history. For Cormac McCarthy, it comes, um, ironically enough, I don't think in the, in Blood Meridian, I think it comes in the Border Trilogy. I think that's the moment where he reaches beyond. Ah, switching gears. I think for Jimi Hendrix, it comes at the point of Band of Gypsies. Who else do we do we study? I mean, filmmakers are tough because you'd got to go back to the seventies. Like, when did Cassavetes go for it? I don't know. Did Scorsese go for it with Taxi Driver and then kind of? I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure that cinema is still. I'm not sure that our expectations for what cinema can be are even lined up anymore. But painting would be would be a pretty that would be a probably clarifying field in which to take this approach. You need somebody who's existed with mastery for a little while. It wouldn't even need to be that long. It doesn't need to be 30 years. It could be fucking three weeks, three months. It doesn't need to be in, a, in some verifiable, observable field. It could be in fly fishing. It could be in gardening. But you'd have to give it up. It can definitely be in sports. Yep. So you have to dump this, I believe. This is like, you know, think about how how much how much you have to put in 
How much did Stephon Curry put in? This is a generational thing, okay? Del Curry, I grew up watching Steph, Stephon Curry's dad. I don't, I've, I've said this before. I've watched enough Stephon Curry to realize, okay, that's the greatest shooter that ever lived. And one of the greatest players that ever played. And I remember thinking about his dad. His dad was a great shooter. His dad was a pure shooter. So this is a this is a multi generational offering to the gods. So in the master game, right, as Robert D. Rope sort of describes it, here we'll quick weave back to uh, McLean. In the final analysis, he says it comes down to the water course way, flow, total flow. It just flows, man. You just flow. If you... If you come to do anything for long enough, right? Like if you build a business or if you build a family or if you play guitar for 30 fucking years, uh, you know, you develop attachment to this. Jump back to Plato real quick. We're given ways, dramatic, stupid ways where this can be offered up, you know, like, oh some after-school special-style trash where, you know, some Indian fucking, or not Indian, but uh, like rug-weaving feminist master crafter in a third-world country has to become a refugee and so let go of her rug-crafting specialties and of course, this is uh, absorbed by the Borg when she takes refugee status in a first world country where there's, you know, here we have all of the infrastructure to properly exploit your God-given and um, human-developed talents. Now it's all good. Man, that goes real quick. Think about that. Think about how fucking fast that corner is turned from purity to a corrupted notion of purity. Would it be fair to say that your beliefs and schemes are really only useful if they get you closer to God, closer to awe and wonder? I mean, I think at a certain you know, level of discussion, that has to be true. Or else nothing else can be true. Check your presuppositional transcendental argumentation. Um, you know, here, here I think Jay Dyer and I agree 100%. Uh, So, if you have human nature, presumably you are not a non-human intelligence, and I'm speaking to a human, and you are listening to a human. Can we further say that, or presume, that since we are all broken, that making some type of allowance towards um, that point where we're going to offer up our works. See, now that's not a tight turn, dude. That's not a tight turn. So here's your midpoint twist. 
Wasn't it just the other day that I was talking about puking? It wasn't it like a year pur purgation and these things, right? A early, early war horse. I mentioned this moment that many of, I presume everyone probably has experienced where you're a little kid and you have your first barfing session. Maybe your mom's there. If you have a really good mom, she's going to hold like a, a warm or like a damp, excuse me, cool washcloth to your forehead and pull, keep your hair back while you barf. I mean, what, what more do you ever get than that? And for every kid that didn't get that, man, I am so sorry. So you puke. And then you lay down on the cool tile. Maybe it's linoleum, maybe it's hardwood, maybe it doesn't even matter. Because you've reached this moment where in the construction, the way that kids are built, you kind of have this moment of absolute clarity and you don't need to think. And all of that technical, techne, practical, quote, knowledge that you've built up between then, pardon me. This is uh, totally off the cuff. I cannot keep any, uh, any flatulence within. Um, There's a purity to that moment that is analogical to the purity that I'm talking about later. For some of us, um, you know, this does arrive in a physical way sometimes. It doesn't, I'm not saying it has to, I don't really know, you know, but it is one of these things that appears to be like spiraling out through every level of abstraction, hitting all the fucking seven, seven steps to heaven, as Miles would tell you. You know that one? There's a little gift for you. That's the best Miles record. Stick it if you don't believe me. Go ahead, tell me why it's not. Seven steps to heaven. You ever seen that one? That's some good, good shit. I think when it spirals out into everything, you got to take note of it. You can't really plan for it. Maybe I, yeah, I mean, likely I am. I'm, I'm like one of these people that's sort of, you know, probably, probably for worse, maybe. I don't know, because it's not pleasant. It's really not. It's not particularly pleasant to be fixated, like anchored back into the physical. My mind recurs to this, uh, to Miles Hollingworth's notion of the human being in the Wittgensteinian form, actually not sprouting up from the earth, but sort of hanging down from heaven like a marionette and relating to yeah, see, that makes me queasy, dude. So here, the point of this midpoint twist was to say that the other, uh, you know, I have two sons and my wife is pregnant and it's winter now. And I'll be dipped in dog shit if this wasn't the time that we got our first run of where everybody in the house is now puking and shitting. We have one toilet. I, we do have access to, you know, we're not shitting in the yard for Christ's sake. But, um, and honestly, it could have been, I think it was mild. We were spared some merciful 
merciful forces were in play. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my son, my oldest son, was up all night. So that kept pregnant mommy up all night and daddy a good portion of the night. Then the next day, youngest son barfed. And that dude is like made of other fucking materials. Um, let me tell you. He falls down. He just gets up with a scowl and looks at you. I didn't teach him that. His mom didn't teach him that. He pukes. He just looks at it and scowls. Ah. <laughs> uh. And then that afternoon, while working outside in the rain, I was—I felt a little, a little funny most of the day. But then it was just overwhelming. Fell on my knees in the gravel and chundered. Rolled over on... This was like three days ago. So I don't know when this will probably hit you guys in like... Um, I don't know. Maybe... This might be coming to you 10 days after it happened. I, I don't know. Yeah. Fell down on my knees like Robert Johnson. Begged the Lord for mercy. Save my soul if you please. Do you see kind of where this is all going as a coherent narrative? I think this is more valuable than anything that Dave Rubin's doing or Ben Shapiro or BAP. What do you think about that? I'm just going to put that right in your face right now and tell you. I think it's more valuable than the Red Scare. I think it's more valuable. Now, you know, as uh, as Mickey says of, uh, you know this reference, Natural Born Killers, there is the king. I mean, Joe Rogan, not going to. I, I have my limits, but uh, these these other characters, yeah, I put this up against anything at their best that they got. <laughs> yeah, I think that's okay. It's what we're doing, right? We're participating in the trough piggy game. Don't you love when you play the trough piggy game, and then everybody wants to get get the old um, Rolodex of moral equivalents out and start to browbeat you over the head with that shit. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're all just in it together, aren't we? So, I fall in the gravel. I roll over to my left side and proceed to dry heave in the rain and the snow. No, it was the rain and the sun, actually. It was kind of a pleasant... In a weird way, it was one of those, like... I don't know. I'm not used to Appalachia, but it was... It was pleasant, actually. It was healing. A light rain, but sun coming through the clouds, you know? And not... Um, maybe I was a little fevery, but... And then you get the shivers, you know, when you lay down. That moment is short. Where you're perfect and then the chivers come and you got to get up and go get in bed or something so anyway i still had to uh close up the shop as we say on uh this side of the poverty line and um so i had you know i had to i had to pick my moment <laughs> to kind of get up and put the tools away and that sort of shit but um Man, a couple of feverish fucking dreams befell me. I mean, I don't usually have like lucidy sorts of dreams. The closest thing I've ever seen to my sorts of dreams is um is when uh, Dale Cooper's being booted out of the um, the Black Lodge. It, it kind of, that, there is something, you know, David Lynch devoted him, his life to dreams and the transcendental and making visual these, I mean, he, 
either maybe he and I just dream on the same sort of palette or something, but very rarely is it other than that. And then when it is, I'm, you know, it can be very disturbing. And yeah, it was just like, that sort of shit um, with clarity and uh, too real for maybe that's what, uh, you know, the, the binding power there is, is like when you can actually kind of locate what you're in as a dream and mute it a bit, the tonality becomes tolerable. Whereas when you don't really know, that's when it gets fucking scary. Okay, so that's the kind of dreams these were. The dreams are not the point. The sequence of events is the point. You and I know that this, this sacrifice, I suppose in the context of death work, right? Are you leading up to something? One of these dreams, in fact, that I had was this kind of Ligadian, is that his name? Thomas Ligotti, I think. Ligadian deconstruction of meaning, uh, the, you know, the meaning that I've built in my individual system of value. And uh, yeah, it was uncomfortable. But the sequence of, of events here in this experience of being we're told in every tradition are some type of chum, 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 you know, down the seven steps, down the seven fractals, following the golden ratio, the Fibonacci sequence, all of this stuff. Ah, oh, that's just crazy. No, it's, you dude, your kids are going to be utilizing those things if they are lucky, um, maybe of the elect or whatever, to, to sort out new technologies. And maybe that is in the form of the, the Bitcoin monastery, as they say, after some cataclysm. Maybe it's in the form of the Morlock Eloy. I don't know. Maybe it's in the form of some uh, forest Ewok family of um, wolves, as my friend Clay Martin says. I like that one. I like that one a lot. And that's kind of where I find myself falling a Northwestern return to the mist, but with our own light. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The sequence of events is, you know, you have the, in orthodoxy, the talk of essences and energies and check it out. If you, if you get a minute, it, it's pretty useful, I think. The essence can be, can be contained at every level of the fractal, the hologram. That's what it is, okay? The master game is in, prepare, in preparation for some type of a jump. Many, many, many descriptions of that. So I don't think that, I don't think I'm, I don't, not really, not turning up that I'm particularly gifted at coming up with a new one, which I'm fine with, you know, I'm fine returning to something like the watercourse way to understand it. You know that origin, you can remember origin, right? I'm not talking about origin of the species. I'm talking about the exiled saint and patriarch of Christianity, origin. Check that fucking dude out. Check out Alexander, uh, Clements, excuse me, of Alexandria. Because those guys believed in metempsychosis and the psychopomp, the character uh, 
healing, protecting, guiding, putting the damp cloth on your forehead, giving you a word of encouragement as you go through whatever it is you're going through. Where is that character in the analog, you know, in this level of being? I went to a doctor one time, many, ah, yeah, 15, 18 years ago in Florida of all places. And this guy was an old country doctor, way out. This is not fucking Orlando, dude. This is way out in the middle. You ever been through, uh, like, middle Florida? <laughs> Ron DeSantis isn't going to be uh, staging any rallies out there, let me tell you. So I had some ticks on me from doing some deep-ass fucking uh, Florida snake slaying one time. And I got the bullseye, you know, and I was like, dude, fuck. I don't need Lyme disease. So I go to the guy and I'm all like ah, freaking out. And this old timer puts his hand on my shoulder. I mean, he was a, a gentlemanly sort, you know, white hair, thin build, the whole deal, pocket knife, little, uh, little tie, little yellow and uh, white tie. God, what a nice guy put his hand on my shoulder and said, dude, the basic protocol we follow is the doxycycline. And if you have any problems, you just come back. And he said, despite what your, what your gadgets have told you, I've seen, I've seen, I think he said like, you know, excellent results from, from this protocol. And when that fucking guy said that, I just like my my blood pressure was just like Phew. <sighs> I was like, all right, man. Went home, took the pills, was fine, of course. <laughs> Here we are, approaching the downward slope of this episode. I'm going to give you yet another gift. A gift of a movie recommendation. What is it about this period around 1980? Can we extend it between 83 and 87? Because then we, we get even... We get... Titanic. Massive. Um, cultural power. Pardon me. It gets to the point when you compare now and then. Forget about people saying, oh, wow, we're so degraded from when, you know, people made Antigone and built stone buildings. That was incredible. Fucking go look at 1984, man. Look at what we made it through. So I think that in 1984, I thought I had it pulled up for you. Yes, I do. And uh, I, th I think I recorded something about this re or recently, and I'm pretty sure that I dumped it. So I'm going to have, but I don't know. I'm, I don't listen to these. I don't have time to do anything like that. I barely have time to hopefully pull it off in one, you know, hour. So if I did go through this, um, consider it necessary repetition, I suppose. The Natural comes out in 1984, based on Bernard Malamud's 1952 novel of the same name. Arguably the three greatest character actors of all time. Robert Duvall, Wilford fucking Brimley, and Richard Farnsworth, who's my all-time favorite. <laughs> In 
If that's not enough for you, let's throw in Kim Basinger in her prime and Barbara Hershey, who is really nothing to scoff at. Glenn Close, play, who, she's perfect in this role, but she she plays the kind of, um, you know, hometown sweetheart. I I can't really bring myself to run through the synopsis. I can only tell you that if you watch this movie, it is near perfect. It may be perfect. It may be the perfect film. I'll tell you it this way. When I got into writing novels, you can bet that I obtained Malamud's original version. But I cannot bring myself to read it. And so I finally, I knew that I was never going to, and so I gave it away. Because I don't know that it, I don't need anything else. I don't want it to be anything else than that. That is a peculiarity to myself, you know? There is, you may not believe it, but there are at least two McCarthy novels that I refuse to read. Because I want to have something of him to go to go to that I've never gone to before. I might just never go to them. We have to say something in order to, to close the thread here. So it's 1910, Nebraska. Roy Hobbs learned to, learns to play baseball from his father. His father dies early. Lightning strikes the tree next to which the place where his father died. The boy takes the wood and makes a bat from that tree and puts a lightning bolt on it. There's the use of like a primal symbolism right there between that electricity, that bolt of lightning, and that tree, and what techne is going to pull to give a tool, a Heideggerian sort of tool to the man that is so phenomenal. It's fucking divine right there, okay? So whether it was Malamud, Barry Levinson was the director, Roger Town, and Phil Dusenberry are credited on the screenplay. Which of those guys came up with that? I don't know. I don't I don't care. There's also this point where something collaborative like this does uh, supersede the collective talents of everybody involved and becomes magic. I have to say once again just go if you do nothing else for yourself this holiday season just go and watch this movie and when you do what I'm going to close with here will hopefully make some sense I want to suggest to you that this movie is a divine reaching through the cave whether it's Plato's cave to cover you up to cover up the cover up or it's Plato as you know, bastion of human freedom or whatever. Fuck all of it. It doesn't matter. It pierces both, your, all of your confusion. Because when the natural is broken, as happens in, in the movie, he goes inside He's forced to go inside. 
to dredge up, to rebuild. What he finds inside is his father. And that's the same with every man. Therein lies the lightning bolt, the weapon, what have you, to win. And the shame that we spoke of in previous episodes. Is contained in a little fetid, rotten capsule along that road. Mirrors within mirrors within mirrors within mirrors because your father turned back to his father who turned back to his father who turned back to his father to your son who will turn back to you. And if you think for one fucking second that stacking sats or disappearing maybe like your father did or going silent hoping his mother explains it to him or anything else is going to do it brother you have sinned, man. If you have a son, your job is to find it within you. It's not to build him a castle, you fool. Castles made of sands, said Jimi Hendrix. It's to instantiate yourself into him so that he has two voices within him that he can absolutely trust. One, and this is shown, depicted in the second half of the movie, The Natural. The man who can exist in the broken, noir world and yet contain and preserve that lightning bolt. If you think that's not true, and you're not quite up to speed on all this shit, and I don't expect anybody to be, once again, if I told you how I figured all this shit out, how it was, it wasn't from reading books, dude. If you want to do the literary critical analysis of that, ask yourself, why do you feel that way at the end when you realize that the son that he plays ball with that he thinks at first is some indiscretion by his hometown sweetheart. That's his son. What road did he have to go get there. 